3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the lands from which we broadcast. 3CR prays respects to elders past, present of the Kulin Nation and we, respect, we recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to late 30am. Good morning. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Good morning. Good morning. Um, and Katya? I know, it's so exciting to be here in the studio all together again. Yes. Happy 2019. Yes. yes. And welcome back, Shahrazad. Thank you very much. I'm actually so happy. I just like can't stop smiling. It's so good. It's so nice to see you both here. Yeah, I feel like so we yeah we've had a few weeks off. I think we've all come back feeling refreshed, like different humans. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's amazing what a break can do. Yeah. Yeah. I hope all listeners have also had a good little break over the summer, and are now like plunged right back into the new year. Yes. Yeah. And we're also pretty excited for today because I guess today, you know, in two days' time, we've got Invade Day coming up. And so we thought, you know, of course, we're going to focus on that on the show today. So first up, we're going to be um, listening to an interview with Nayuka Gori, um, which actually was first played on Satellite Skies. That was an interview done by Annalise and Alice. Um, it's a really rad interview about Invasion Day and abolition. Um, so we're playing that in two parts of the show coming up soon. And then around 7.45, we're going to be chatting with Mariki Onus, who's one of the co-founders of Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, um, around all the incredible organising and campaigning they've done in the lead-up to Invasion Day and also stuff that's going to be happening on the day itself. And then just past eight, we're so lucky to have um, Neil Morris coming into the studio, um, otherwise known as Dreaming Now, to chat about his new release, Ancestors, um, and again, all the incredible work he's doing in community at the moment. So, and great. we're also going to be playing some really rad tracks. Yes, we will. So please stick with us this morning. And I think first up, Katia, there's a tune that you wanted to play. Yeah, so we're this morning, because it's Invasion Day this week, we're going to be playing all Aboriginal music um, this morning. And I was on in the car on my way here and I was singing a classic in my head, Kev Carmody's Pillars of Society. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. It is the 24th of January today, and I think up next we're going to be um, listening to an interview with the amazing Nayuka Gori that was first aid on Satellite Skies on Monday night. So we might jump straight into that interview now. Hello, my name is Nayuka. I'm a Gunai Kurnai, Kunichimara, Wiradjuri and Yorta Yorta writer. I guess my work mostly nowadays is freelance writing. I used to, my like nine to five regular person gig was working with young black followers, doing workshops and that sort of thing. Um, but now I mostly just write for a living. That writing would centre on suppose colonisation or experiences of colonisation, feminism, queerness, and then also comedy stuff. Cool. And mind if I ask what pronouns you use? Yeah, they, them. Great. Thank you. And so just to start off, for listeners that don't know, what is Invasion Day and what does Invasion Day mean to you? 
Um, so Nation Day is the 26th of January, or Australia Day, I guess is mainstream population refers to it. For me, I grew up with the 26th being Invasion Day. A lot of other people, might, like black people, may refer to it as Survival Day. Yeah, I guess for our, our family of never really um, growing up as Aboriginal people in Queensland, we never celebrated anything Australian. Um, so it, it just didn't make sense for us to participate in the day. And as I've gotten older, that's something, um, and I could think for myself, that's something I maintained. The day itself has a history of resistance. Um, William Cooper and a few other black fellows from down this way and around the country organised, I think, in, was it 38? Organised on the day to be a day of mourning and that eventually got shifted. I think, if my memory serves me correct, that day got shifted. So it started off as resistance and then it got shifted to, I think, like July um, and then it became a week and it's sort of been shifted to NAIDOC week mm-hmm. and it moved from a day of cel- a day of resistance to a week of celebration as a way to neutralise resistance I think mm-hmm. anyway yeah so anyway back to the day it is for me personally it's a day of resistance and it's a day it's really kind of sad and it brings out a lot of pain and leading up to it in I guess, being more active on social media and seeing the way it's been... It just seems to bring out the worst in white people as well. What you said about neutralising resistance I find really interesting and a tweet that you made today about that. Yeah, well, so I guess as a way to appease the left, Scott Morrison, I think made a statement yesterday or this week or whenever about shifting the date to a day to celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on Jan 25. Mm. Um, so that was in regards to that. And I think it's... there's. I think resistance makes people very uncomfortable. And they, I think, yeah, people like Scott Morrison think if they just give us a little bit, then, yeah. But in terms... If people are more interested in that sort of... the way that colonisers do things like that, that book... Dancing on Our Turtles Back or Dancing by, by Leanne Simpson. Mm-hmm. She talks about the way that reconciliation is framed in that way. What I think ultimately, I think it makes people really uncomfortable. Like angry black people makes white people really, really uncomfortable. And I think mm-hmm. all sides of politics. I think that's really interesting about reconciliation as a way to like appease certain parts of different communities that is then really just functioning to neutralize what is seen as more radical or more violent parts of those communities who actually want meaningful change Mm -hmm. in terms of like um first nations people in australia and black people in australia definitely and i think like a lot of the ways that it's talked about when we talk about reconciliation when it's talked about in media is really used as this way to be like this is like a nice thing that we can do mm. so we don't have to look at any of the bad things that we have done and that being done in our names. Yeah. And I think it's really important to think about it like that. It also frames reconciliation. If you look at where money from reconciliation comes from and the way that corporations and both the government fund it, it'll come from the black money. Mm-hmm. So 
say, for example, a lot of reconciliation stuff came out of the Indigenous Advancement Strategy, which is for Indigenous organisations. So in my mind, it places a responsibility for our relationship on, on black people. Mm. I think black people should take... We are the people that settlers are accountable to, but that doesn't make us responsible and it shouldn't come out of our money and it shouldn't it shouldn't be it should it should be there anyway and it shouldn't come at the cost of other black things. Probably an aside. Yeah, but I think it's a really important aside as well. Like when we think about like how much money actually gets put towards all of these like different strategies that like the government specifically wants to use. If that's coming out of black money, then what else isn't getting funded? Yeah. I just and also just the onus on us to forgive and or to advance the relationship is just it's a pretty bizarre it's a I don't know it's a head fuck it is really sick like it's a very um yeah it's a really bizarre sick way of thinking about things I think that is like a lot of the time power works so it's like putting the onus on the people that are experiencing marginalization and violence for that change, which is then blaming them yeah. for the things that are happening to them at the same time. So it's this, like like you said, really like tricky and head-fucking way mm. of just like putting all of this onto the marginalised groups and now onto Aboriginal people in terms of Invasion Day and reconciliation. Absolutely. And I think, I think what I also mentioned to you is that people want our resistance to be convenient. Mm. So it can't actually disrupt anything. It can't actually shift power in any way it has to it has to be convenient for the like dominant group or the oppressor or whatever Scott Morrison suggested making January 25 which is the day before Invasion Day or Survival Day a day to celebrate um, Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people what do you think about the ideas that are going around about changing the date I I'm not for changing the date mm-hmm. I think January 26th itself marks the day of. For black people, it's about mourning and it's about loss and it is also about anger. Mm-hmm. There's no day for me that is appropriate to celebrate Australia because Australia Australia wouldn't exist without genocide and it wouldn't exist without colonisation and for, that's not something to celebrate. I don't, I don't know why... Australia needs to celebrate or what it's done to deserve celebrating when it still hurts people and not only black people but it is still you know locking up asylum seekers and refugees mm. and there's just there's we we like Australia has not earned the right to celebrate and I think until we do then there's no appropriate day yeah and I think that's a really important point in terms of like Colonization is an ongoing process. It's yeah. not something that happened and is now like in the past or something. It is ongoing and that yeah. when people are trying to celebrate Australia Day or celebrate Australia, they're essentially celebrating colonization. Yeah, the two it's in a, they're in a, they're absolutely tied together. Mm. And yeah, you're right. We've, it is an ongoing it's not a single event. It's it's you know it's everyday it's systems it's and we've never we've never had a time in history that you could never ask an Australian white Australian person when did we stop colonizing mm-hmm. Aboriginal people what would their answer be they would they would not have a date Australia is still taking black children away from their parents the Northern Territory Convention is still in place mm-hmm. we're still 
stealing land from black people, you know, if you consider Adani, there's not, we've never had a moment to, there, there's never been a moment where black people have, well, the country is decolonised, so. Well, those are all really, like, good examples of the ways that colonisation is actually working now in ways that people wouldn't say a colonisation, like yeah. the disproportionate rates of black people in Australian prisons, for example, yeah. is just like another example of the colonisation of black bodies in Australia. But people see these two things as really separate, yeah. I think, instead of like understanding that these systems like play out in amongst all of these other systems of like patriarchy and like white supremacy broader, like homophobia and stuff. It's like yeah. all happening together. Yeah, they're just they're just like the what we see today is a natural progression of things that happened two hundred plus mm-hmm. years ago. They're just different different iterations, I suppose, of those things. Yeah, there's never there's never been any kind of I hate using the word, but intervention mm-hmm. like colonial intervention. There's never been a moment to stop, and we've just been like. I don't know, rats in a cage, just kind of chugging along and trying to keep our head above water to mix metaphors. But, like, in saying that, I do acknowledge, like, some black people have class mobility, but, you know, they're still black and still inherit trauma. Mm. And, like, at whose expense do we move up the ladder, I suppose? Um, I think it's really, like, that mixed metaphor is actually so good because it's, like, black people in Australia are being forced to, like, deal with all these things for their own survival, which then is just quashing the possibility of resistance, which is just a really, unfortunately, effective colonial tactic and yeah. a tactic for upholding white supremacy and colonisation in Australia. Absolutely. I think most things in this country... Like, I think, of, yeah, Penny Morrison says, like, the function of racism... Or I don't know if it's the function, but racism serves as a distraction from things that actually matter to mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. Um, like black people... And I think, say, for, for example, things like constitutional recognition, which is somehow back on the agenda, is a distraction. So it's painted as a solution, but it's just one of those things, like, once again, wrapped in the cage or, you know, one of those little wheel things trying yeah. to... Like, we're forced, because all this money is spent on it, if we're forced to fight it when we could be building things. We could be building our nations. Instead, we have to fight like um, white politicians so that our rights get protected. So what we could be spending our time doing so many, I don't know, so many other things. Um, it's like I think of it if we were like a collect, as a collective, like our amygdala is just constantly firing off and we're constantly in like fight, flight, freeze mode. We never have a time when we're not just being. It's just constantly dealing with like trauma or constantly fighting something so yeah we've never had the moment where we're out of the danger so we're constantly responding to whatever danger is there and I often do wonder what it, what we could be if we weren't constantly like deciding what to fight and what to what to let, relent on and like the mention of trauma and like collective trauma and intergenerational trauma is really important and I think ties into something that um, you said about um, colonisation as an abusive relationship with the state. Um, is there anything else you want to say about that or that idea of understanding colonisation in that way? Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about it for a while because I want to write, I think, I want to write a book mm-hmm. called Against Reconciliation mm-hmm. because I think the, the premise of it 
has been ridiculous um, for reasons that I've mentioned before. Yeah, I think that, like, the more that I understand about abusive relationships um, and, like, different, you know, different kinds of abuse, the more I realise that Indigenous peoples around the world, or, yeah, around the world, but, you know, particularly being black here, mm-hmm. that's just what it feels like. You know, there are many different kinds of abuse, obviously, and I think the way that black people experience life, that ranges from, like, things like deprivation of our liberty to, like, economic control to even things like gaslighting from people like our politicians or whatever who who try and control what our reality is. So, like, there's a bunch of different tactics that don't even have to be employed by the state. They're also employed by individuals mm-hmm. um, in our, you know, communities or whatever, mm-hmm. kind of do the work. And I guess that work for them has to be done because it maintains their power but also lets them think that they're okay or whatever. But in terms of, I guess, reconciliation and abuse, reconciliation in particular, as I mentioned before, the onus is upon us, I guess the abuse, abused or victim, to have to accept like apologies and have to be responsible for the relationship and we have to move on. And there is no, even in this situation, there's, there's no out. We can never, this is our country. Where, where the fuck are we going to go to? There is no out. So it's, it's like, yeah, you're kind of captive, I guess, in a way. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe I'm being traumatic, but it feels like even if I wanted to, I could just never, I want to live on my land. I can't live there because it's, it's been, you know, fucked over. Mm. Even if you want out of, this relationship you can never really there's no out like really important ways to think when we're talking about reconciliation and like what that actually means especially like when you're like there's nowhere to go like that's true and it's like the land has been taken and is now like being used in all these ways that are seen as really like normal or like you know like that's like what has happened and that's the way that the status quo sees it yeah and so you can't just like take it back yeah um and so you're trapped like yeah yeah we're trapped um or for and forced to clean up colonial mess Mm. like look at things like the murray darling yeah it's and i think with climate change as well like there's just going to be all of this land that is in many ways going to be uninhabitable because it's been destroyed or it's we don't have anywhere to go and the conundrum then for someone who believes, I've been thinking about this a lot, the conundrum for someone who sees the relationship between the state or and white people and, like, colonised people as abusive, mm. like, if you're someone who does believe in restorative justice and is an abolitionist, then do you have to believe that the state can change? I don't think the state can change, but... Yeah, then do you still have is do you still have responsibility to try and you know? I don't know. These are the things to think about lately. You're listening to three CR Thursday Breakfast, eight five five AM. We've been hearing from Nayuka Gori when they chatted with um, Alice and Annalise on Satellite Skies on Monday. We'll be right back to that interview in just a moment, but first we're gonna to jump to a track. It's called Bring Buildings Down by Ancestress.
You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. We just heard from Ancestress. That track was called Bring Buildings Down. So the lyrics were written by Teela Watson and that amazing beat was by Busty Beats. Now we're going to jump back into an interview with Nayuka Gori. Um, we'll hear a question from Alice and then, yeah, just do tune in because it's really, it's incredible. It's a really amazing interview. I think that's a really interesting question. And, like, when we're talking about abolition as well, like, in terms of prisons, I guess, like, the understanding that it's not the prison system needs to change, it's that the prison system is inherently violent and is being used as a tool of the state to, like, marginalise or further marginalise people already marginalised or always ex- already experiencing violence. So maybe it's that way of thinking about the state as well, being like the state itself is a violent tool and it can't change and so it has to be abolished and I also but then for me it's like my thing is white people like what is my relationship with white people and how white people organize themselves Mm. whether it's in corporations or government so then do I also have to believe that individual white people can change and then I'm like well I must inherently believe that because like some part of me you know some of my best friends are white people like, my partner's a white person, so maybe I actually do believe that, but abolish the state is probably the answer to that one. Yeah, I think so. yeah, when it, if we're talking about the state, like you said, as a or violent, which, like, when we talk about family violence, the definition of violence is a pattern of power used to control someone in a way that causes them harm. So, like, when you see that on an individual level, it's really clear but then when we open that up to the broader, like broader systems where like whole groups of people are being, having violence acted upon them and experiencing harm, it's like those things are still playing out in the same ways. Yeah, yeah. I guess like power, power is power regardless mm. of how it manifests. So, And that's one of the things that we really want to look at in this radio show is like that relationship. Because people, when we talk about violence and interpersonal violence, really separate it from other forms of violence and violence on a larger scale when in fact a lot of those things are the same Mm. and like accountability can be talked about at this really large scale which is what you're talking about when you're talking about like the ability for like white people themselves to change but then plays out you know on this interpersonal level where there's like microaggressions or instances of racism Mm. that are playing out between two people which are being used like as tools in service of this larger project of colonization yeah yeah then how do we the other thing that i'm coming to realize is that the state will never be the state can't be accountable to anyone mm-hmm. it's there there's no there's no way even under its own ways of operate like its own legislation and the things created there's no one, because of their own sovereignty, there's no one higher than them to make them accountable. The most that we can do is vote them out and have a new people to fight with. So, like, what do we... That book that I was talking about before, it, it says, like, in the authors, using Indigenous methods, so where, where she's from, I forget how to pronounce it, but, yeah, where her mom's from, like, proposing that, you know, if someone wrongs that mob they should go through their accountability process so I think that's really clever and then maybe there's a way 
we can never get what we want from the white way of working, but maybe we can get what we want from our own way of doing stuff. Mm. But then I'm, like, really hopeful with climate change. Maybe, like, things will implode a bit and we can use it as an opportunity to take things back. But um, yeah. <laughs> what would an Indigenous accountability pro- like in process look like? I'm really interested in that. I was just going to say that it kind of sucks that we have to have this, like, massive environmental destruction in order for there to be any, like, opportunity to actually make any change. Yeah. But that's, like, the situation that the state has, like, put us in and put, like, the people that are forced to live under it and then especially black people who are then, like, further marginalised. Do you think white people can change? Um, it's in my interest to believe so. <laughs> and Mine hope, too. <laughs> yeah. But then it's also, like, when we're living under these systems where us as white, or me, at, like, as a white settler, like, having all these benefits heaped upon us, how likely is it that people are going to want to let that go? Yeah. And, like, that's the thing that we're up against. It's, like, people hate giving up their power. Yeah. And also hate change, I think, as well. Um, it'd be interesting. Like, there are probably a few black followers who want the world as it is now, maybe just a couple more black people in power mm. or a couple more mm. black people, you know, nice capitalism, like black capitalism, yeah. um, like black judges and black cops. Yeah. Um, yeah, would we... Are it, yeah, are we actually really prepared for a shift, a radical shift in power and reimagining the way that we do things in the world? So we have a rally in Nam on Invasion Day, which is on the 26th. Yeah. So, yeah, the rally itself focuses on a few different issues, um, one of which is deaths in custody. Um so we have a few coronial inquests which are happening at the moment, um, or like of, you know, midway through or whatever. Um, and one obviously high-profile one in here, here in Victoria is uh, that of Tanya Day. And then the other, one of the other focus points is not wanting constitutional recognition. Maybe we talk about what restorative justice or transformative justice might look like in terms of colonisation. Oh, God, that's really big. Um, I don't know if it is this, but I think a huge part, there's a few different things. I don't, realistically, I don't think we can get rid of white people. We don't have the numbers. So we do have to live together in some way. That doesn't mean we have to like, live together in a house, but mm. we're all going to be kind of occupying this continent in some kind of way at the same time. Um, I think a big part of it is, like, bare minimum reparations. We never talk about compensating black people really when we talk about compensation, it's about specific things like maybe stolen wages. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we've done down here in Victoria, if they have in Queensland, it might be like specific things happen. Think like some stolen generation stuff. We never really acknowledge that colonisation itself is something that should be compensated for. Like it's just a, it's just seen as this thing that was a necessary evil. Um, well, not even, just a, some people don't even think it's evil. Some people think, 
well, we didn't have a wheel, so, you know, you all saved us, and now we have iPhones, so everything kind of works out, comes out in the wash or whatever. So I think compensation is a good place to start. Actually, I guess a good place to start is a conversation about what black people want and need. Mm. Personally, for me, I think it is about compensation. I think it's also about land. Mm-hmm. And I think it is about redistributing power. But that's just off the top of my head. I'm very much interested, though, in how we live together. Like, I'd love to just, I'd love to, like I said before, I'd love to live in my country. And like, I'm really interested in native plants and how we can restore things. But what does it mean for people who have to work with white people? But I'm really interesting to think about like what those relationships can look like if people are having these really serious like like reflections about colonization, especially white people, when we're actually thinking about these things, how to have those relationships. Because that's really important because we can talk about like these big picture things. Yeah. But people still have to live and interact with people on a daily basis. I think also to answer the question again. Mm. I think it also means ceasing colonization. Mm-hmm. What is that? Like, to, to be ready to go through some kind of transformative justice. Like, you need to stop the thing that you... Yeah, like, how, what does that look like? If we, if we are no longer colonised people, how do we live on this continent? Because as long as black people are here, we're on our own land. Like, we, maybe we all, will always be colonised. Like, I don't know. How do we cease to be colonised? I don't, I don't know. Like, I think about, yeah, my friend Marawa, who's wanging and jaggling, she's been fighting Adani. Mm-hmm. Like, that is such a brutal kind of, brutal experience of colonisation on top of all of the stuff that's happened to have sacred land kind of stolen. Yeah, well, stolen. Mm-hmm. Even though you say no, you say no, you say no, and then stolen, and kind of the state supporting it and, like, kind of cheering on thieves is a bit weird so I think yeah I think we have to stop or cease colonization and then then talk about how to move forward and maybe finally I'd like to ask whether there are any organizations or movements that are happening at the moment that you think are doing really good work that need to be mentioned like you mentioned Stop Adani uh, specifically uh, the Wangan and Jagalingu traditional owner group um, who are fighting it's like Stop Adani's like you know they do amazing work but they're mostly a conglomerate mm-hmm. of green groups mm-hmm. who kind of replicate can replicate that colonial behaviour mm-hmm. except my friends who are involved I'm sure who are great um, no. <laughs> but yeah I would definitely support traditional owners in that fight um, also see Indigenous Youth Climate group is someone they do really good work warriors of the aboriginal resistance war they're amazing full of a lot of awesome black organizers also uh jitter um that's d-j-i-r-r-a they do really really important work supporting black women down here in victoria um antoinette is amazing and finally sisters inside up in brisbane would be another organisation you might have seen they've been yeah pushing out those that um I think it's GoFundMe or Go whatever it is getting black women single black mothers mostly out out of prison they're doing incredible work yeah 
Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it, and you've said some really incredible things. Thank you. You're tuned in to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. We've just been listening to an interview with Nayuka Gori, which first played on Satellite Skies um, on the Transformative Justice show hosted by Annalise and Alice. And it was a really amazing conversation about um, abolishing Australia Day, about the upcoming events on Invasion Day, and about, yeah, I guess the relationship between transformative justice and, uh, yeah, the movement to abolish Australia Day. And so up next, we're going to play a track. This is How We Do Remix by Dizzy Doolan. justice in this country and we still face systemic racism and ongoing violence at the hands of the Australian state. That is why we protest. That is why we march. Please join us this Invasion Day and condemn the ongoing violence, ongoing theft, the ongoing discrimination we as Indigenous people across so-called Australia face. Meet on Saturday the 26th of January at 10.30am at the Steps of Parliament. Organisers have asked for supporters to wear black and blue flowers. For more information, visit the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance page on Facebook. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. Just before we heard the really incredible track, this is how we do remix by the one and only Dizzy Ullin. Um, and before we jump into an interview with Murky Onus, I just want to let people know about the weather today because it's going to get really bloody hot. It is. So we're doing heat warnings for today and tomorrow as well. So today's going to reach a top of 39. It's going to be hot and humid with cloud clearing and it's going to probably peak at about far, 2, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. today. So sunscreen and water, everyone. Yeah, and so I just wanted to let people know that Victoria's Chief Health Health Officer has issued a heat health alert for the Central District for today. Older Victorians, children under the age of five and those with existing medical conditions are most at risk of heat illnesses, especially on multiple days of heat, which is what we've got coming up. Drink plenty of water, stay indoors with air conditioning or a fan on and check in on neighbours living alone and older persons as well. Never leave kids, older people or pets in cars. Extreme heat can increase fire risk. Check the fire danger rating for your area in Vic emergency. If you feel unwell, see your doctor or call Nurse on Call on 13006060024 or in an emergency, call triple zero. Don't sing me an anthem because you don't know the words. Words are hard to remember. When they mean nothing at all To the hearts are still waiting For their voice to be heard Don't sing me your anthem When your anthem's absurd Every year 3CR marks Invasion Day with special programming that give voice to the ongoing struggle for land justice in this country. Stood up for justice, 
Our shows cover the rock history of Australia, cross to local events and rallies around town and celebrate the survival and culture of Aboriginal people. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Abolish Australia Day. Tune into 3CR on Saturday, January 26 for coverage of the 2019 Invasion Day events and issues. Have you ever wondered about the meaning of the terms identity politics, intersectionality, turf or institutional racism? Same here. This summer, Tuesday Breakfast is going back to school to answer these questions and more. Join us as we learn from experts, academics, writers, activists and people with lived experiences to share knowledge on decolonisation, sovereignty and self-determination, race and identity, sexuality and gender, and disability and accessibility. Knowledge shouldn't be locked away at a university, so let us bring it to you. Tune in to Summer School, Tuesday mornings from 7am, starting the 8th of January, 855am or via 3cr.org.au. And check out our Instagram, 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, for more details. We appreciate like your mob and all the people coming and visit us and doing stuff like this, you know, it's very good. It yeah. keeps a positive mindset in our mind, you know, and we really appreciate it. Because of her we can, yeah. I wanna be a better, better man, yeah. Because of her we can. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates across Victoria. You can listen to audio from this year and previous years online anytime. How do you rehabilitate someone? They just put you in a cell and tell you this is how long you're going to do and it's meant to rehabilitate you, you know? Rehabilitation starts when you get out. That's when your life begins again, doesn't it? In here, your life's on hold. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Or if you'd like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 When I first come to this jail, was about 10 years ago, and, and I was a young one. I wait for young ones come to the truck there the other day, and... They call me Auntie Marlene, so it helped me recognise and realise it, like, pull myself up, like, yeah. They're starting to look up to me, so I've got to represent and do the right thing now. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... Wayward Girl, the intersectional feminist music show. Tune in Fridays 9 to 10 through summer on 3CR. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. We're now so lucky to have one and only Mariki Onus on the line. Uh, good morning, Mariki. Good morning. 
How are you going? I'm all right. How are you? I'm pretty well, thank you. Great. It's our first live show for the year, so excited to be back. Oh, uh, yeah. I was wondering if we could just start. Do you want to introduce yourself for listeners and also let folks a bit know a bit about um, about Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance? Yep. My name is Ricky Otis, and I organise a group called Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. Um, it's been around since, since 2014, and we've just done like bits and pieces of community organising and rallies here and there. Since we started, I was made up of Aboriginal people only, and we've got groups in Brisbane. Um, mainly in Brisbane and Melbourne, but we've had a little bit of interest in Sydney and Adelaide, but it's been difficult to get up there. I would say a lot more than just bits and pieces of organising over the years. <laughs> You've done a lot of pretty amazing, you know, both yeah, campaigning and rallies, protests, actions. It's been pretty phenomenal, and I think we're all... Yeah, we're also watching this space for what's coming up um, in the next few days. But I might hand over to Sherry to ask the next question. Good morning, yeah. Mariki. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks for getting up so early. Um, no well, I suppose, like, um, coming up to uh, Invasion Day, you guys have been doing um, uh, a lot of stuff, um, especially with the uh, Seven Days of Resistance. Did you just want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, so Seven Days of Resistance, um, I think it started in Brisbane um, with our Brisbane mob. That we, excuse me, oh, um, and we just like hold events in the lead up to Invasion Day, um, just to make it a bit more of a, um, more than just one day, um, and it just I suppose it involves community events. Um, it can be we held a panel this year. We've held a panel other years. Um, we're having T-shirt painting day at the Aboriginal Health Service for Aboriginal community to. Right to create their own T-shirt and print their own, print our own, uh, which will be good. Obviously, down there soon. Um, we had a panel on Tuesday. Um, and banner making workshop. We hold a few different things. I think as as Invasion Day grows, it will have the, and we get more people interested in organising. You know, down the track, we'll have a good you know, a solid calendar of seven days of events that people could attend around um, Invasion Day. And that can be just help meaning like that you can just get involved or help inform yourself or help organise the march. Um, so, yeah. Um, and you, you spoke uh, briefly uh, a bit about the, the panel that, that you actually hosted on, on Tuesday, um, which is about decolonising solidarity. Um, yep. could, could, could you speak a, a bit about that? Um, yeah. And I suppose in the, in the, in the lead, especially um, you know, the, the whole year, but also uh, in the lead up to Invasion Day, um, you know, w- w- what does that mean, I guess? Decolonize solidarity. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really important. To, it's just basically getting it right. Like we don't, you know, there's this relationship with solidarity, our solidarity and our allies and settlers that live here. Um, it's just like an ongoing process, um, and we're trying to change the relationship from colonizing to decolonizing, um, and which benefits us. And so we had. Um, we had allies or 
you know, people that work who work in solidarity for um, for Aboriginal people or all peoples, and they they centre, but they centre Aboriginal sovereignty, which is really important. And then we had, you know, Carolyn Martin, she's an Aboriginal woman for the Boorong people. Uh, Crystal McKinnon, um, she's a Noongar woman. We had Claire Land, she wrote the Colonising Solidarity books. And we had Iris, and she is an amazing organiser in the community, and she shows, you know, some of the best solidarity that we've seen. Um, Idol Ali, like, very much like Iris, and Sharon Dez Singh. So, you know, we had people that do really good that could share with other people living in Melbourne, um, you know, things that they do and the reasoning around centering Aboriginal sovereignty. I mean, because if you don't centre Aboriginal sovereignty, you're just presenting as another form of oppression to Aboriginal people. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of organising and doing things and creating change for better is that our liberation is tied up with the liberation of everybody in this world. And so if you don't centre Aboriginal sovereignty, you're just colonising our country. And so it's really important. For example, if you're only if you're doing work on anti-racism work in Melbourne, but you only do it on settlers um, that experience racism in Melbourne, and you completely ignore the experience of racism that Aboriginal people experience, then you're only just going to do anti-racism work for settlers. You're not going to actually end racism in Australia, which is what we want, you know. So. It's kind of just a better way of working. Mm. And that's um, that's like, I suppose, like uh, really obvious. I think Idol sp- spoke a bit about it um, on on Tuesday um, when she was talking about like the whole Af- um, the African gangs um, stuff. Um, yeah. And how... And so did Sharon yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so did, yeah, and so did Sharon Dev and other, other people, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. But, um, and, and how like... You know, you, you can't talk about um, sort of like anti-blackness uh, in Australia without without centering and and acknowledging like the that the fact the the fact the state was was and is founded yeah. on on you know the genocide of 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 um you, yeah. you know your people. Um, so yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, and Ricky, this is back to M here. Um, just back to thinking about the the seven days of resistance um, that's been going on, which we've all been following. I just wanted to ask a question around creativity and resistance, because you know there's been some like some of the workshops that um, have been held. You know, include like you mentioned the screen printing workshop, but also war. You know, over the years has often you know done done protests that are incredibly creative, or you know, thinking about different ways of protesting that, you know, really defy the expectations of the, you know, genocidal settler state and also about, like, building up the capacity of of mob, of community, of allies um, to resist and engage in all different ways. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could, yeah, if you talk, if you could talk about few you feel as, yeah, a relationship between creativity and resistance. Uh, I think you can't have resistance without creativity. Um, I, th- I think that we... You know, the art, for lack of better words, is our third eye. You can't see liberation or freedom because I've never actually experienced it. But 
have to keep imagining an Abdullah Ma'arif within our community to help imagine. You know, and that was some of the themes around imagining abolition. That really, mm. that that kind of, I mean, we already knew it, but, you know, that was some of the themes that were spoken about and Dr. Chelsea Gordon talked about it. And it was that we can't see freedom, but we have to imagine it. And, you know, through the eyes of our artists and creatives that we do see a better world and, and ourselves. And I think that resistance and activism is about is about imagining a better world for ourselves. I don't know what it's going to be like when we, this settler colonial state suddenly centers Aboriginal sovereignty, but I just know that's the right thing to do and I know that it would be better. And I know that in small pockets where it has worked and it, it does, it, you know, it is the right thing to do, but I think when it all works together, we've never really actually seen it, but we just want better. We know that what we have right now isn't the best, but, you know, we do... We do amplify that not just through words of our writers, but our creatives and our activists and our organisers, and they're the people that dream of a better world and and want better, and you know don't want a society that has to come off the back of another person. Um, so it's really important that we don't separate creativity um, and the arts from the work that we do, and that's that's been our way forever, you know. It's only this colonial society that can separate arts from humanity or um, you know, or spirituality or whatever. It's all it's all holistic for us. Um, so, you know, it's, it's decolonizing as well. Absolutely. And that was, when you were talking about imagining abolition, that was the um, most recent Sisters Inside conference late last year um, that we were both fortunate enough to attend. And on that note, I just wanted to ask a question, probably our last question because we do need to wrap up, but around abolition. Because, you know, here on Thursday Breakfast, actually the other day, we were thinking about sort of like, you know, a little name or byline for our show. And we're thinking about calling it the abolition show because that's sort of what we keep coming back to. But I wanted to ask your views on you know, you talked about the importance of imagination, but also the importance of centering abolition, particularly, you know, when you think about invasion days coming up. Um, yeah, do you, do you find abolition to be a useful way of, of, you know, joining together these different threads of activism? Um, yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it does. And I think that you can't have... Um, Angela Davis is the person perfectly summed it up. You can't have abolition without... An anti-capitalist, um, anti, an anti-transphobic, um, a decolonized um, abolition framework. That's all. That's all we have to work under because all of our liberation is tied up with one another. Um, and you know, it, it has to include. Um, it has to include ways that we have to. You know, the settling state needs needs carceral politics. It needs, um, it needs capitalism, um, and it needs, I mean, it all needs each other to survive. So if we do all of our work, um, to include everything that I just mentioned, then no, nobody gets left out. It doesn't come, you know, it doesn't come at the expense of someone else. So if you only do abolition and you don't decolonize, then it's going to still come at the expense of Aboriginal people. Um, and abolition needs capitalism to survive. 
Um, I, I mean, I'm not really, I'm not really, I'm not articulating this as well as Angela Davis, but I mean, it made perfect sense to me that if, you know, we have to do all the work um, together, but centre Aboriginal sovereignty um, here in on this country. Absolutely. You're making perfect sense um, to all of us here on breakfast. Yeah, we're all nodding. (laughs) Yeah, we're like strong. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, And yeah, we better wrap up there now. But thank you so much, Mariki, for joining us this morning to chat about abolition, um, decolonisation and all the amazing work Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance is doing. Thanks, Mariki. So March is um, Saturday at 10, 10.30. Um, come down, march with us. It will be a good day. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks, Thanks so Ricky. much. All right. Yeah, bye. bye. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. We were just chatting with Mariki Onus, Ganuchamara and Gunay woman and co-founder of Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, about the upcoming Asian Day decolonisation and abolition. We have no justice in this country and we will face systemic racism and ongoing violence at the hands of the Australian state. That is why we protest. That is why we march. Please join us this Invasion Day and condemn the ongoing violence, ongoing theft, the ongoing discrimination we as Indigenous people across so-called Australia face. Meet on Saturday the 26th of January at 10.30am at the Steps of Parliament. Organisers have asked for supporters to wear black and bring flowers. For more information, visit the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance page on Facebook. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am. It's the 24th of January and it's just six past eight right now. And now I'm really happy to play for you um, Dreaming Now's new track because I'm so excited to say that we've got Neil coming into the studio really soon. But have a listen and then we'll jump back in um, with an interview. So um, now we're joined by Neil Morris, otherwise known as Dreaming Now. Welcome on the show. Thank you for having me back here once more. It's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. Um, and did you want to um, firstly, I suppose, tell us a bit about yourself and about the new track that we just listened to? Sure. My name is Neil Morris. I'm a Yoda Yoda man. I am very grateful to be here on Kulin Nation's land is not a birthright necessarily for me to even be here and certainly to uh, live here and do work here. So I just want to honour that fact that uh, it's, a, it's a privilege that I'm not entitled to to be here. Um, so I released the piece of music this week, which I'm also really grateful to have created and I guess it was largely inspired by living here on Kulin Nation's country I moved down here full-time in the middle of 2016 after living uh, back home on Yorta Yorta country for a number of years, doing a lot of amazing work that I was really lucky to do with my community, both in working on country and a lot of cultural-based and advocacy-based programs back home. And 
When I come down here to do my music, um, well, I didn't come down here to do my music, but music was a part of what I um, always intended to do when being down here. Something really felt uneasy about moving to the city, and I guess a lot of it was around the fact that here I was, someone who was back home doing all this stuff with my people, including doing things like Welcome to Countries and a lot of quite important um, cultural-based activity to them being based on somebody else's country where you cannot do those things because it's not your country to do a lot of those things. So it was a point of really intense evaluation of how do I live here and still be able to carry out my responsibilities as an Indigenous person in the most um, just way. And so something that ended up uh, wanting to make sure I did was acknowledge this country as much as I could in the most genuine way that I could. And that was something that I developed um, in a music setting and um, did that, you know, as much as I could because to me there's, there's never enough of doing that. Um, every moment I'm here, I guess I like to think that I hope that part of me is acknowledging country while I'm here. So I ended up... Um, yeah, I had, a, I had a really bad incident, actually, um, which spawned the writing of this track, which was during a performance um, last year where there ended up being uh, a bit of abuse from an audience member towards myself and towards some Indigenous people in the audience, which was quite horrific at the time. It was really disturbing, and that night I went home and wrote this track, which went on to be... I guess, an acknowledgement of country which was written in a hip-hop format. It has a lot of words. There's a lot to think about um, there. And I guess it goes beyond just like a standard acknowledgement of country. It's got a lot of historical information. It's got a lot of potential food for thought and that kind of thing. So I guess ultimately there's so many ways you can look at it. First and foremost, it is acknowledgement of country it is about empowerment for Indigenous people generally. It is about awareness raising for those that might not necessarily understand what an acknowledgement of country or why you should even do that in the first place, why you should even respect country. So the real hope with this track is that it can be something really beautiful that first and foremost mob can feel empowered by by having access to it this time of the year, just prior to January 26th, and if it fulfills that purpose, I'll be pretty happy. But um, beyond that, I guess, just as responsibility as an Indigenous person, if I'm going to release a piece of work, particularly under this project, Dreaming Now, it's, um, I guess, just embedded in the way I do things within this project to make sure that if somebody listens to this work, that there's an educational element to it, so... Hopefully people receive that as well. And you, you talked about that um, last time as well, like centering um, in Indigenous peoples in, in, in your work. Um, oh, <laughs> I need to go closer to the mic. Uh, <laughs> I always do this. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so centering uh, Indigenous peoples in your work. And um, I suppose... 
also not necessarily just speaking to a white audience, like mm-hmm. not having to educate a white audience. And yeah. can you speak a bit about that, I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and I guess... Or the settler audience would be a better word. Yeah, yeah, I guess um, honestly when I wrote this track, like even though there's all those different factors to like who's going to see it, which is so intrinsically built into, I guess, my writing process, which... To be honest, I don't even think about it when I'm writing. It's just, obviously, it's there with me, yeah. and uh, it comes through in the writing. But um, my main focus when re- the actual recording came about to do this track was ultimately to find the part of myself that feels most connected to my most special places to be, to to feel that when I put my voice to the mic within that particular recording that that I felt that my country was coming through my voice box that I felt that everything that makes me who I am which of course includes my ancestors was coming through and I guess my motto is if I'm doing that um in some type of way carrying out my cultural responsibility and if I'm doing that then as an indigenous person I'm doing stuff that's about enabling our people to survive. It's about enabling all living beings to survive. If I'm basing that responsibility on how I should be functioning as an Indigenous person, so that the hope was really uh, with this track that, yes, it would provide some sort of healing mechanism, which also provides all these other type of factors as well. But in terms of uh, making sure that the track was fitting to an audience, um, it, it was never really conscious through the process of the actual recording process and that's something I was really happy about with this particular project and um, I just feel incredibly grateful to be able to have been in an environment to record the track in that kind of way and hear it out there now and know that that's what's in that track in the the audio recording of it. Um, and maybe just following on from that, I was wondering how, because this is, is this the third track? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Under Dreaming Now? Yeah. And how you see this one fitting in with, um, you know, the other two tracks that you've released to date and it's sort of like an ongoing project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Australia Does Not Exist, which I released this time last year, was obviously, you know, it was about dispelling illusions first and foremost which in my perception and the perception of potentially many others the idea of Australia is one that is built on injustice and if something is built on injustice how can it be so how can it be true so it was about dispelling uh, myths and then secondly to come after that was obviously indigenous land which was about you dispel the myth okay what is actually really there, which was indigenous land and so you take people to that place then where do you take them mm-hmm. they're just going to float around or what are they going to do <laughs> when they're on indigenous land well you know respecting it is mm-hmm. what people need to be able to do so it's very much um i can't say that like it wasn't conceptualized that i would write these three tracks in this order which to me it's really beautiful mm-hmm. that that was just a natural um, format that had a design of its own and I'm just like, wow, 
that's so beautiful the that natural structure that is based in line with my um responsibilities and values has come out to be in the way that it has in that um that order of indigenous law i guess for one way to put it mm. yeah it's incredibly powerful listening to those three tracks together you know you really do take listeners on a on a journey so to speak that is really grounded um with this most recent one but I just wanted to ask now, because just before we were chatting with Mariki Onis about, um, you know, Invasion Day, decolonisation and abolition, and I was thinking this morning as I was, as I was writing in about um, your track Australia Does Not Exist and whether you think about, whether, whether you can think about that at all in relation to abolition. And I was like, actually, for me, I have like a lot of qu- queries around that because abolition sort of takes or could potentially take what you're abolishing as in the Australian state, as a fact in the first place. Whereas what you're doing in that song is being like, actually... It never was. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was wondering if you could share any thoughts on abolition in relation to That's a great question. Yeah. um, And that raises the question, obviously, around Indigenous sovereignty and what are the ways that mob can go about enacting that. And, um, yeah, I guess there's varying degrees, obviously, of education around what that even means and how it can be carried out and there's so much in my understanding of it that needs to be debunked for people to have a clear picture of what that is um for me um like it was always about indigenous spirituality for me when i um longbore wrote that track which then became a track it was always about indigenous law has never decided to not exist that can never be the case. <laughs> that can never be the case. So um, if that can never be the case, how can something else sever that, like, to the yeah. point where that ceases to exist? You can't, you know, have both these things um, concurrently running. So I guess that's my take on it, is that it's it's that Indigenous spirituality is so powerful and and so true that whatever else you try to overlay on top of it, if it's not considerate of how that figures into it, if it's not a symbiotic um, relationship and the way those things intertwine and work together, then that thing that precedes it, it, it cannot um, legitimately really hold any type of... Like we talk about legal structures and all of that mm-hmm. type of stuff, from an Indigenous law perspective, well, that thing... As you said, it it can't be abolished because it it never truly existed on a true foundation. From a, a Western, you know, concept and construct perspective, yes, like of course it exists at least within that framework. Mm-hmm. But from my framework, yeah. yeah, it's a different story. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry, I'm just like nodding my head. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like I, I was just um, I was just thinking about it as you were saying that, like you know, from the from the Western framework and I think like we just base so much of um, our knowledge our importance on knowledge on like western constructs and western knowledges without like well if you want to if you want to be decolonizing and stuff then base it on indigenous knowledges indigenous understandings like not western constructs because western constructs leads to just so genocide and um, yeah genocide the killing of like anyone who doesn't like subscribe to the state yeah but i I do acknowledge where people are positioned in different locations and 
where there's different levels of understanding, people have to approach it in a way that's, that works best for them in that particular moment. Like, not everybody can just go into a mind state and be like, I'm just going to function and, you know, think of it all like, you know, in the way that I just described it. So I'm totally cognizant of the fact that, like, these projects around abolition of certain structures, in some cases, are extremely necessary and vital and I back that work where that needs to be done because there are certain things that unfortunately are not just going away overnight and I'd like to pay respect to all those that are doing the work in those spaces mm-hmm. uh, on that which it's obviously an normative work and it's not going to finish in a hurry. Absolutely, and maybe on that note, we could jump to talking about Invasion Day coming up, because um, we, you know, we've been chatting on the show about all the incredible resistance and organising that's been happening this past week, this past year, always um, in the lead up to that. And just yeah, if you want to, because we've got a few minutes left, um, if we just want to have a little bit of a chat about, I guess, yeah, what's coming up on Saturday, um, what we'll all be getting up to, or any other views. Yeah, it's it's an enormous day, obviously. Um, I don't know if it feels bigger this year or whether it's just my experience of what is to come and, and where I'm at in life, but um, it does feel like a really big one this year um, to put pressure on anything. I mean, every day is big mm-hmm. um, ultimately, but um, the Dawn Service, which is going to be occurring led by Lydia Thorpe, that is a really beautiful start the day and for those that aren't aware of it um, definitely jump on social media and check it out Um, it's going to be a really beautiful experience I can only imagine um, and totally crucial Um, obviously a lot of people still hold January 26th as a day of mourning Um, myself I I see it as like all three things which mob use you know describe it day of mourning uh, survival Day and Invasion, it, it is all those things depending on how I'm feeling and, and that maybe that's the case for certain other people. So mm-hmm. the fact you're bringing that morning element to start into the day, I feel like that's pretty crucial to give people an opportunity to mourn on that day and then we go through, you know, the part of the day where I guess you've got the protest, which could be seen as a component of the day, which is largely about the invasion and then you have... Things like sharing the spirit, uh, gathering at Treasury Gardens, which could be seen as a thing of, you know, the survival. So it's kind of beautiful that you've got those three events that uh, represent those three different phases, even, you know, chronologically um, of our experience and having people to be able to go through that in those step by step uh, rollout of their particular day. I think that that's going to be really beautiful and it's going to have people feeling a little bit different potentially than what they've felt um, well in fact for some ever before because again this being the first um, dawn service that's been done here in uh, this city that's been done on a large scale so I really feel that people are going to feel that and it's going to uh, be a special outcome whichever way people feel at the end of the day and I feel it's going to support the momentum going into uh, the rest of the year for people to 
feel stronger and um, feel like they've been able to wade through their emotions a little bit more to, you know, find certain parts of themselves to understand what is their responsibilities over the next 12 months. Absolutely. I think on, on that note... Oh, did yeah. you have oh no, I was going to say, yeah, we either, we have time for one last quick question or maybe just to wrap up. Um, if you want to share how, like, folks can find out more about your work and if you've got anything, you know, on the horizon or anyone else's work as well that's coming up that you'd like to share with listeners. Yeah, um, my work can be found via my very strangely spelt artist name. Um, <laughs> On either Facebook or Instagram, D-R-M-N-G now, that's D-R-M-N-G now, you will find uh, my work. Um, yeah, just decided to, to just keep trying to do the right thing, essentially, whatever that looks like, whether it's music, whether it's whatever else. And, um, yeah, support Indigenous artists, you know, support Indigenous voices, um, in all formats of the world. You mentioned Mariki Onus, people like that, like, follow their, um, movements in the world, they're all doing amazing and powerful things and all these voices are crucial to the betterment of the position for all people living on this land which will be better off with Indigenous justice in place. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And on the... <laughs> um, I think we're all just looking at each other like, who's going to talk next? Um, but I think we do have to wrap up the show now. But just to end, I guess, to strongly encourage all listeners... Um, to show up on Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. at the Steps of Parliament House. Or at the dawn service. Ah, or the dawn service before that. You know, we'll all be there, so please do check that out on social media. Come along to that first thing Saturday morning and then continue the day with the march starting 10.30 at the Steps of Parliament. We hope to see you there. You've been listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast with me, M. Katia. Also, I just wanted to add, it shouldn't just stop at Invasion Day. It should be continuing throughout the year and throughout to your life as a settler on this land as well. Absolutely. Stay tuned for Lost in Science, and then tomorrow morning tune back in for Friday breakfast. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. And thanks so much, Neil. <laughs> My pleasure, always. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.